0: Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. Today I sit with Garrick and we talk about his sermon from this past week in our Blueprint series about doing good in relationships. I think this is a conversation that's really worth listening to and listening to really intently. Garrick and I frame this idea of doing good in relationship, engaging with people, doing life with people and remembering that as Christians, yes, we have a relationship with Jesus and maybe the people that we know don't, but that doesn't mean that these relationships can't be mutually beneficial. And so we talk about that a lot. And again, we we ended the conversation. We both said, wow, I really enjoyed that. And there's a lot that I want to interact with just from our conversation, so we really that you feel the same way. And we hope you listen to the whole episode because at the very end, we keep our conversation with Drew and Kelsey Messick that Garrick had on Sunday. We, we, We put it at the end of the episode because we really want you to hear it and be inspired and recognize that you can take small steps of faith each and every day in relationships in order to do good. So thank you for listening. And I'll just actually give you a little bit of a trigger warning before we start. The first like four minutes, Garrick and I talk about his eye surgery that he had recently and I was having very physical reactions to that and if I was having that listening I imagine that other people will as well and so if you don't want to hear about Garrick's eye surgery which is very gruesome and and very intense skip ahead like four minutes but if you want to hear that be my guest but either way we hope you listen to the episode and enjoy it and we will see you next week and every single week after that oh new contacts huh Yeah. are they a different prescription or yeah
1: yeah. Sorry. There. Hey, I'm glad to be back in them and out of my glasses, man. Although although Jess, who I love.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> as we're funny. getting
1: you were there. Yeah. She's like, you look so smart in glasses. You don't
0: look as smart. You don't now, you don't look context. smart
1: at all. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: Do people I was on sabbatical when this happened. Do people know what happened? when we told the story of your eyes? Or has that been
1: Um Yeah, I I, I know something went out to the prayer team. I don't know if anything was communicated like church-wide mm-hmm. other than like people that are connected to my community group. I did mention it in a sermon that I, you know, my retina detached. Ouch. And kind of left it at that. And, hey, it's been surgically repaired, <sighs> which, you know, the idea of... I can't. Being awake and watching somebody.
0: You were awake?
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's the crazy part. That's not like... It's not like they knock you out and then you wake up and it's done. Like, they... Well... The, the plan was to stay awake, keep you awake. And then they numb your eye. They put you under to put a shot in your eye to numb everything. And then a few minutes later you wake up and then they're like doing metal things. And like, you're watching with your, like your other eye, like, oh my gosh, they're working on my eye right now. So I told my anesthesiologist, like, I am super skittish about my eyes. Like there's a reason I haven't done LASIKs. Like I couldn't imagine watching somebody work on my, eye, I just can't do it. It makes me like I was hyperventilating the, the, the day that I found out that I was going to have to do the surgery and what it was going to like be like,
0: I'm hyperventilating.
1: now. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the, the saving grace was I'll end the story with this. They have, <laughs> they have something called, um, Twilight anesthesia. Yes.
0: And that
1: was golden. Yeah. So I told the, my, my surgeon said, oh, don't worry about it. We have this stuff. We'll probably give it to you. You'll be fine. Like, Mm -hmm. great. Then, then the um, anesthesiologist came in and goes like, no, you won't need it. You don't feel anything. I don't like to give anything extra. And so I'm there texting Janine. I'm in the, you know, waiting where the, you know, waiting for the surgical room And Janine's outside in the waiting room and I'm like, hey, my surgeon just said this. It's all going to be great. And then I texted her like four minutes later. Hey, the anesthesiologist just said no. Abort mission. (laughs) (laughs) This is going in the wrong direction. And uh, so I tried to tell the anesthesiologist like, look, I'm super skittish. And this is going to be really rough. This is I'm, I've told him, literally, I looked him in the face and I said, I'm living my worst nightmare wow. right now. And he's like, oh, you're going to be fine. He's like downplaying it. And I'm like, well, just so you know. like." And I said, my surgeon said this. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to need it. I'm like, okay, fine. Okay, all I remember, they put me under. I woke up and I see them like working on my eye. And I'm not sure what I said, but it sounded probably something like, Ah, 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 you know, like starting to make noise like this is massively uncomfortable. You're getting uncomfortable. (laughs) I like,
0: I'm really having a hard time with this. I'm going to have to put a trigger warning in front of this episode.
1: So I make the noise and I hear the surgeon, I hear, I hear her say something to the anesthesiologist. I can't make it out, but I know she probably said like, hit him up with it. Yeah. Because the next thing I know, like 10 seconds later, I'm out. And then I wake up one more time, and all I do is feel pressure, and I'm awake for maybe like another 10 seconds, and then I'm out again, and then I wake up to like, hey, it's all done, it all went great, I have a patch over my eye, and they're like wheeling me out of the surgical room. So I was basically awake for like maybe 30 seconds of a 40-minute surgery, which God is so gracious and good to me because I love him and twilight anesthesia.
0: (laughs) I mean, I have so many just pragmatic questions about eye surgery. Yeah. And then to think, well, you're under, so you don't really answer them. No, no, no. You could answer them. Oh yeah. You were there.
1: (laughs) Well, what's really funny is I intentionally didn't read what mm-hmm. they were going to be doing beforehand. Cause I'm like, I can't stop it. Like my choices are be blind in one eye or do this. Right. Like, so why read on it and make it worse. And so I tried to read the pamphlet of like what they do in the surgery post-surgery. And even then I was like, nope, can't do it. (laughs) And I just put it away.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that is quite a traumatic story. Yeah. But you said something Hello and welcome, Coastline Covenant Podcast. You said something interesting in there that I I think actually kind of helps us in our conversation today. A little bit about like, you're living your worst nightmare. And I think when someone would hear a sermon like the one you preached on Sunday about going, living out your heart of compassion, living out your heart for other people and inviting people in just to live life with you relationally. That's some people's worst nightmare. Is it? I think we found that a lot in the hospitality series. Yeah, We found people a little bit resistant to the idea. I think in theory, we love being hospitable, right? but I think in practice, it's really hard for people. So as a pastor, what do you say to someone who's like, hospitality isn't one of my gifts? Would you say it's everybody's gift? Would you say, okay, there are gifts under the umbrella of hospitality you could do. I know this isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily what we're going to talk about, but I think it kind of leans into a little bit of the conversation.
1: Yeah. I would say there's definitely a gift of hospitality Mm -hmm. and like the gift of evangelism or any other gift to not have the gift doesn't uh, give you a free pass in the gospel call toward (laughs) extending yourself towards your neighbor. Right. 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 We're all called to witness and you can't say like, Oh, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not, don't have that gift. Therefore, you know, I'm out. What I would say is if that's you, then really the, I think living into the loving call of the gospel is to think about who am I and, and knowing who I am in my personality, what does it look like for me to extend myself to another person? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, what is a small way that I extend myself if I'm introverted or I'm I'm very, very concerned because I've tried and maybe through my growing up years or my adult years even, I tried to bust into friendships or relationships, always felt rejected, didn't felt like I fit, things always felt awkward. And so like anything, it's okay, you don't climb the mountain in one failed right. swoop, like just leap over the mountain, like you got to just take a step in the right direction. So my encouragement would be to think about, okay, who are you? And if the idea of like inviting somebody into your home or really extending yourself relationally to a neighbor or a coworker or somebody you've just meeting at church, right? Like it's just thinking about what is the small step in front of me? Like, honestly, there are probably people listening to this that need to be reminded your small step might be actually be the one who like turns your head and says, good morning and welcome to coastline. During four minutes of family instead of standing there awkwardly like, oh my gosh, this is my worst nightmare. So something like that. Or like, here's a great thing. Um, I know Gene Chow has done this. He's shared with me at his work. Like he's just intentional about inviting coworkers to lunch. Like, hey, I'm going to do lunch. Why don't you come with me? We'll hang out. We'll talk and we'll do lunch. You know, and it doesn't mean he has to you know, oh, I go to coastline and you have to come too. Or like, hey, I follow Christ and you should too. Like, it starts with the the common human experience of like, you're going to eat lunch, I'm going to eat lunch. Hey, let's do that together.
0: And you just create space for somebody to be themselves. And I think you, you see Jesus do that a lot in the gospels. And obviously Jesus knows what's going on in that person's life. And Gene might as well, or, or whoever's listening to this yep. may as well. But you create space for someone to tell you their story. And that is such a powerful thing. That's actually like really sacred. When you drop into that space with somebody, when they're Mm -hmm. able to say, here's what's going on, or you ask that question that they need to be asked, Mm -hmm. it's a really big moment and it's really Mm -hmm. scary. And I think for me, and I would be interested in your thoughts on this as well, like as a pastor, I I sit with people a lot and I can almost sometimes sense the question that I need to ask, but I'm afraid I can't handle the answer. Mm. And I think that's a lot of times why people don't take that step because they're like, well, what if they share this thing? What if, what if they bring that to me? What, what if I ask the one thing and they're like, well, I'm so glad you asked because here's what's going on. And it's like, I just wanted to go to Rubio's with you, dude. Like, how are you doing all this now? So I, you know, loop, loop it into your sermon a little bit. Cause you talked from Galatians six and, and there's mm-hmm. a part in the passage where Paul talks about, um, Not comparing ourselves to other people, but we should carry our own load. But there's also this idea of carrying others loads, bearing one another's burdens. Burdens. And so Mm -hmm. as someone shares with you, you know, as you're getting Rubio's with somebody or you invite somebody over and they're like, well, here's what's going on. And it feels too heavy. How do you think someone can practically like receive that from somebody?
1: Mm hmm. I always I say two things, w- three things. Yes. One, you're not alone. Like we're all scared of the same thing. Yeah, like even yeah. me, like yeah. sitting down meeting with people, like what if they have an issue or problem that, that is way beyond me? Right. Like, Oh no. Like, so just to normalize, I think that fear concern of what if the burden is too big for me to help bear Right. is just normalize that. And don't let that be a hindrance because it doesn't need to be no. for these other two reasons. one, this reminder that I said in my sermon, like we're not the Holy Spirit. That was Like great. them divulging information to us doesn't obligate us to fix it for them, right? Because oftentimes the deeper stuff of the heart, we can't. No, And I think the gift that we have to offer is empathy and compassion. You know, coming out of Matthew 9, Jesus looks at, at uh, the Israelites that are like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion mm. on them right? It doesn't mean that he, in that moment, fixes all of their problems, right? Um, So, we we have to remind that what we have to offer is empathetic relational presence and to not discount that and to say, like, we can't fix it. So, Mm. you can't always fix everybody's problem. We want to. Like, when people... I desperately want to pray for people and just see them healed immediately and just have them, like, be like the guy on the mat. Like, just jump for joy. My life is good because I hate... I'm super empathetic and I carry the gift of mercy and I hate to see people in pain. Um, But the reality is like only God gets to control that. And I have to remind myself what I always can offer, what is up to me is to be a empathetic, caring heart that lends my ears, right? And is, is willing to listen. So we're not the Holy Spirit. The last thing I was thinking about was, and this is the third piece and final piece, let's not forget the power of prayer. Like you can't solve it. You can't fix it. It might be way above your, like I meet with people all the time and I I even think I'll use this like, wow, that's probably above my pay grade, right? Because those are issues like going on in your marriage or going on in your life that it's like, that's going to be a long windy road to untangle. Like there's no way for me in this hour meeting to be like snap, crackle, pop, like, you're on the road to health and vitality and spiritual growth and all that.
0: You wouldn't be a pastor. You'd be Tony Robbins, (laughs) right? Like you'd be, you'd be out here just selling out crypto arena with your talks.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's exactly. So knowing that, um, then just to recognize, like maybe a good way to look at it is like we have this amazing, significant, call it a foundation. I was thinking, I don't know why, maybe because it's like baseball season. Like we have this profound backstop called Mm. prayer. So never be afraid to listen empathetically and to do incarnationally listening with people because we have the gift of prayer. And at the end of the day, if they pour their heart out with something massively way above your pay grade, you're like, I have no idea how to help them. You always, and it's not a cop out. It's a truth. Right. Hey, hey. A caring, empathetic response, that is huge. That is massively heavy. Thank you for trusting me with that. Um, With your permission, what I'd like to do is pray for you now or just give me your permission and know that as a person of faith, as I follow Christ, like I would just love to lift that up in prayer to you. And regardless of what someone believes about Creator and how they got here and their spirituality and faith, I have, and I've preached this before, I have yet to find somebody, you know, I spent time with Sonalina cruising around Walmart, praying for people. And it was incredible to me how like I was a random and I asked probably 15 people, like at the most awkward circumstances, like I'm invading your space and asking if there's any way that I can pray for you. I only only had one person, one out of like 15 say, actually, I'm good. No, thanks. And they were polite. Mm-hmm. Which is just this reminder of in our culture, offering prayer, regardless of what people think about it, is still seen as a normal, helpful, loving response.
0: Because what you're communicating is I believe in this and yep. I care about you, no matter how long I've known you. I care about you enough to loop you into this. Yep. And that's that's huge. You know, if someone believed like in a number of things. And it's like, Hey, I want to share this with you. I want you to be a part of this as well. You'd be like, well, I don't necessarily believe that, but I'm honored. That's huge. That's awesome. And I think that's also a compassionate thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this conversation has gotten to step four of like being a really like great, compassionate, awesome person who does good and doesn't weary in doing good. Like sure. there are very basic surface level things that don't involve like being the prayer warrior in your office right like yeah there are things like i want to go back to that gene chow example for for just a moment to say like inviting somebody to lunch yep right like so someone listening to this and says garrick that's not spiritual that's not ministry that's not you know me living out my call that you know christ has for me how would you respond to that what would you say to them and how how maybe is it that how maybe is it that call
1: i would go and say if you look at the beginning of the gospels when, what is the first thing that jesus did right like what i'm asking Do you want me you. to look okay well i'm just saying if you look at like the beginning of let's go to mark mark oh, chapter one go or to matthew one go, go did to genealogy, well, okay, okay. So okay. With is, with genealogy okay okay first jesus <laughs> is a genealogy jesus is born and then he goes out he's led by the spirit if you're going into matthew and in matthew 4 right into the wilderness the spirit yep. leads him out there to be tempted What happens right after he comes back and begins his ministry? He preaches and he calls his first disciples. Exactly. And how does he call them? What does he say?
0: As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they (laughs) left their nets and followed him. Yeah. So Jesus says,
1: hey, come follow me. And I've always understood that that is an invitation into relationship, that's where the gospel really started for those disciples. Yeah. So I would say, yes, that's ministry. Yes. That is part of the process of, um, what you want call it? Evangelism witness. Yeah. That it's just like, I've said it time and time again, you know, 95% of the time, the gospel is going to travel through relationships. Mm-hmm. Very rarely is it going to be the like one person who you have no trust or relationship with, that guy just, I mean, it does, it still happens. Right. Like the, the, the truth of the gospel is still the truth and it hits people in their hearts and it has a power in and it of itself. But most of the time it's carried best through relationship. And so Jesus, my point was Jesus invites the disciples into relationship. So what are you doing when you're kind or you're inviting someone to lunch or you're saying, Hey, Hey, can I get you a cup of coffee? All of that is just, I see you, you're valuable and I'm building relationship and it's not, it, again, it's not even, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it before we get off the podcast. It's, it's not now these coworkers, these neighbors, these people on our Frank list that are now like quote unquote gospel projects. Right. right. Like it is yeah, I a, love that. it's just being authentically you and living in relationship and, the more excited you are about what Jesus is doing in your life, the more you, God has already hardwired you to share that with those around you. And it, I was on a call last night with a bunch of guys and on a zoom call and I was asking them is missional engagement normal for you mm-hmm. or is it really awkward?
0: And when you say missional engagement, what
1: do you mean? I, I mean like how do I carry out this call of the great commission? Like what does witness look like in my life? Uh, this reality that I taught in the sermon, like we as followers of Christ are called to both proclamation from the Great Commission as well as compassion from the Great Commandments. Um, and so th- this idea of we're, we're called to bear witness, which we do with our life. But there is a time that if people are going to understand the exclusive, exclusivity of Jesus or the witness of Jesus and, and Jesus being Messiah, words are going to have to explain that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's kind of, I guess, what I mean by like, hey, being missionally engaged. Yeah. And so the question was, is that awkward? And mm-hmm. for some people, it really is because they're looking at it more from like a somebody at my church who preaches told me I should be doing this. And so it's more out of duty yeah. than it is like a natural response to something that's happening in my heart.
0: And it's so significant. Like, I think that that's something that I'm really drawn to and how you're explaining this and how you'd answer that question about like, is this, does this really mean it's ministry to just invite somebody to lunch? Like it's significant and like it's wrapped up in a very significant thing. And I love pulling back to Matthew. I've been reading this book, this really nerdy book about Mm -hmm. basically like why the Bible is not a myth, but Mm -hmm. it's what they call like historic prose. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very, very nerdy. And there's a point, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. And something that the author brings up a lot is how in myth, there are very little gaps in the story. It's very meticulously written. So like you think about like Greek myth and things like you you get uh, like Odysseus's journey in the Odyssey, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a long poem, but there's so much detail And in the Bible. There's often very little detail in the story. And so I'm I'm reading this Matthew four where Jesus calls his disciples You know, come follow me. I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. That idea of at once, like in the story, it feels like it's instant, but it might not have been like at once. There could have been a conversation. There could have been like, hey, we got to really think about what this is going to cost. And I think Mm -hmm. a huge reason people don't engage relationally is because they get denied or because they're afraid they're going to get denied. But like, I think that there's room in the biblical story to see like you plant a seed and sometimes it doesn't grow. At once. Sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. grow at all. And so, what would you say to someone who's like, "I have tried. I have not. Per- I, I I do persist in doing good. I haven't grown weary of doing good. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the world's grown weary of me doing good. I mm-hmm. feel like the world has denied me that." What would you say to someone who has felt like they are getting denied, or they don't feel like they have found a good way in to doing good in this way?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I guess my the question that goes off in my head is are people not interested in you and so there's a relational like gap like we don't want to be with you mm-hmm. we don't want to accept the invitations you've offered right or is it a they will accept relationship but have no interest in conversations deeper conversations or even conversations that might allude to faith or maybe when you do get there they like categorize you as like oh Mm-hmm. You're one of those, yeah. whatever those is, you know, oh, this isn't a good category to be in. And then it kind of gets shut down. And then we get like, oh, I lose heart. Um Again, I would say either way, you're not standing by yourself in any of those scenarios. I think mm. all of us have experienced that to some degree. Um, and maybe that's the point of like, that's why the call four different times that I mentioned on Sunday that... There are passages that talk about us not losing heart, right? Right. Four different times, there's this great call in the New Testament to not lose heart, which basically means don't get discouraged. And let's be honest, both of those contexts are discouraging. Either like, oh, I'm kind of not being relationally accepted as I invite, no one's coming. Or like, hey, let's do lunch. And they're like, no thanks. (laughs) Or we're saying, hey, let's do lunch. And then as I try to, you know, begin to slowly share my faith in whatever way I do, there's absolutely no interest and they're really closed off. And either, and that can, over time, is that just, is like a walled off, like if they're just like a wall, then it, it can be discouraging. And I think that's the, the call of scripture. Like, that's a reality. And don't get so discouraged that you give up, mm. right? Like there is a passage that talks about like, stop throwing pearls to pigs. Yeah. Because there are people that you know, like, you can bang your head against a wall and try to provide opportunity to say, I think this is a viable way to live. I think this is a viable faith. And here's why I think that. And if they're just going to mock it, then I don't think we're just, we're not gluttons for punishment, right? Like Jesus calls his disciples to, you know, wipe their feet and walk away from the cities that I think are antagonistic. Um, but something that struck me that, that a name from the past, Erwin McManus. Wow. Back in the day, right? Deep cut. Uh, He, he said something in one of his teachings that has always stayed with me as he was witnessing to somebody um, and thinking about his own life. And he just says that, you know what? Everybody's closed off until they're not. (laughs) Everyone's closed until they're open. Yeah. And his whole theology, I think is one that's right on. As you look at John, um, where is it John six where he says like, Hey, no one comes to the father unless I draw them near. So unless God opens a heart, there's not much we can do. Um, and so keeping that uh, I've used that language and it's been massively encouraging for those that have family members that they've been praying for for years and trying to do good for years and trying to be a great witness for them for years. And so I, I think that's a reality of like people are closed until they're open. The other place is going we're, we're not responsible and we've taught this before and, and we'll do it again and again. Our call is to be a faithful light, a faithful witness. Again, we don't control people's responses. And while I get it's massively discouraging if you're at work or in a neighborhood that like nobody's interested in you or anything, any good that you do, like that really is frustrating. And I think there's discernment there with God and scripture and the spirit to go, if this is a really closed door, is there somewhere else that you might wanna send me? And if another door opens, then take it. But if another door doesn't open, then stay there until the door opens. Because I think of Paul, who's like had the man of Macedonia experience in Acts, right? Uh, Acts, help me out, 16, 17, 18? I'm not the guy. Okay, one one (laughs) of those three. We'll we'll leave a little work for the listener. Yeah, go find it. In the call of the man of Macedonia, you know, Paul has a plan. And we're not sure, but the Holy Spirit blocks. And I don't think that was a, the Holy Spirit going, no. I just think circumstantially, Paul was having difficulties pulling off what he wanted to do and get where he wanted to go. And it wasn't until he had the vision of like, hey, you should be over here. And then he's like, oh, okay. So that's what I would say. If you're in a place where you're like, man, I am discouraged, I would say scripture tells you don't lose heart, don't give up. But if you feel like you're banging your head against the wall and nothing is happening, then I think it's okay to begin to pray saying, God, is there another direction? Is there another door? Is there another person? Is there another opportunity? Is the way that I'm doing this... Is there a different way to do it? Right? Is it not inviting people to lunch, but is it something else? Yeah.
0: I think that's so encouraging. And I think that's something that definitely people need to hear because I do feel like there's this Christian idea that you have to be a glutton for punishment. Like if that person's going to push you down, you're like, all right, baby, I'm getting back up for them to push me down again. And it's like, maybe your gifts are going to be best used
1: if you're not on the ground all the time. (laughs) Totally. Well, and I think we look at the cross of Christ of course, and we identify, right? Like it's like, Ooh, as painful as it is, this must be some representation of the pain of the cross. Right. And honestly, it could be. Right, that might be it. We're called into a suffering road as we follow Christ, and I know we don't like to talk about that much in like church context, but that is very true. Mm -hmm. And and yet, it doesn't mean like you have to be a constant constant doormat. Like, yeah, that that's where discernment plays a massive role. And I think the right step again is, God, what are you doing here? You've called me here. There's no movement anywhere. Do I stay the course? Do I change the course? Are you going to provide another opportunity? What are you going to do?
0: So I think it's safe to say that like there are some relationships in the sense like this Galatian sense that we're talking about of like doing good and, you know, pursuing people like this. There are some relationships that maybe aren't worth it in that sense because the door is closed and, and the Lord's going to do something in there. But like in that same lane, I guess I'm asking like, what is a good relationship to have with like a non-Christian who is completely walled off to the idea of like, quote, conversion. Like, do you, I know what you're going to say, but maybe you want to flesh this out a little bit. Like, is that still a valid relationship to have in your life? Is that, you know, like to surround yourself with somebody who's not necessarily like going to become a Christian. What, you know, as, how do you live out Galatians six in that sense?
1: Yeah. I think you continue to do good in that relationship as the person bears the image of Christ and to not forget, again, how do you keep this from being like, oh, you're my gospel pet. You're my gospel project. Yeah. Like nobody responds well to that. And it, there's like an ick factor of like, thank you. Ugh, like, you know, using like that. Gen Z
0: language. I love when you yeah. do that. It's my yeah, favorite thing. It,
1: it, well, it's your language that I stole. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just a, it, it just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. And part of that. And I had a great conversation with the Messicks about this as they share their story We both, and and them in particular, uh, Kelsey really wanted to make it clear that this, what they stepped into is mutually beneficial. Mm. They didn't do this just because like, I'm a Christian and I'm going to make everybody who's a part of my apartment complex, you know, walk the walk I walk, right? Like, wow, there's a lot of walks in that statement. Hey, Um, it's like payway. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there you go Good like job. That. dude that was deep cut too man what happened to payway <laughs> we used to all go there like At, after, after church, church and all of a sudden yeah. like one sunday it was gone like poof
0: i have a payway gift card still i think this is we've talked about this like on the podcast yeah when you had a sermon illustration recently yeah
1: you had one for payway right yeah, I did. wasn't payway uh, a um uh what's the donut shop
2: it was a Krispy Kreme Kreme, and now I think right? it's just
0: a mattress or a bank or something. Oh, how disappointing. Yeah, this is
1: actually really niche. If you work for Chase, I'm sorry, but do we really need like another Chase? Oh, I don't even think it's a Chase. Like they have just- I like, don't think it's a Chase. Anyway. Anyway, wow. So Kelsey did a great job in our conversation, really, I think, understanding and framing this is being done for mutual benefit. Like this isn't just about us and what we want to provide for you, As they shared their story, if you missed a sermon, go back and listen to it. I
0: think we'll put their interview at the end of the episode. Oh, great. Just to kind of keep it fresh.
1: Okay, fantastic. So you'll hear it at the end of the podcast. Um, But we had a great conversation about just the, the mutual benefit that happens when we extend ourselves relationally. So to keep us from being in a weird, awkward space that's not good for us which is I'm in this relationship to somehow be your personal savior. Mm. Like that's not healthy for us. Right. And to recognize that if we're walking with people who are yet to believe, which is a phrase that, uh, I think I stole from David crawl and his church. I thought it was fantastic. So props to Dave and what they're doing up at vintage and, uh, NorCal, um, vintage grace. So anyway, it's a acknowledgement of we're called into relationship right? And this is going to be mutually beneficial not only for you, but for me. And if you never have an interest in faith, so be it. Like Mm. There's something beneficial in this friendship that we glean together learning and growth as I get a picture of what life looks like that someone's trying to live without Christ, and you get a picture of what life looks like when you live with Christ. And there's there's mutual benefit from that. I think the other thing that I would um, see if I can, other thing that I would lean on. I, I didn't put this in the sermon, but I think it it's great for at least to mention on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I came across this great article from a gentleman named Rob Cross. It's from Harvard Business Review, and the title of it is "To Be Happier at Work, Invest More in Your Relationships." Let me read you two quotes, kind of pulled from this larger article. What's the secret to a fulfilling career? Most advice focuses on finding purpose and satisfaction in your work. If you can just land the perfect job doing meaningful work, you'll finally be happy. But my research across a wide range of organizations and industries shows that our understanding of what leads to professional satisfaction is often misplaced. People tend to overestimate the importance of the what when they should be focused Hmm. on the who. Here's the second quote. Many of us strive for a meaningful job, an impressive title, or a sizable salary at the ideal company. In doing so, we drastically undervalue the importance of relationships, even though extensive research shows that it's people, not the perfect job, that leads to fulfillment. Wow. So it's this reminder that we were created for relationship in the church and outside the church. And so as we befriend our you know what we use this this uh acronym at coastline the frank list right yeah. your friends acquaintances relatives um who am i missing neighbors friends relatives acquaintances, acquaintances neighbors co workers co workers thank you um we step into that not to rescue not to pat ourselves on the back but out of mutual benefit right that we need relationship and that as we, you extend yourself in your sphere of influence in the workplace, in the marketplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, or at school, to be reminded that building these deeper connections with uh, people right around you is a meaningful way for you to enjoy life even more. Mm -hmm. And that's even recognizing like, yeah, there's a difference between work friends and like, you're close close like we vacation friends right right like sometimes we're afraid to get close at work because it's like that person's gonna leave or get transferred in like six months and I'm never gonna see him again. And while true, I, I think the the counter argument to that is, in these moments, that relationship is significant. Mm. Like I'd pull this example when JP Prevetta worked with me at church. You're
0: just all about the deep cuts. Deep today. cuts,
1: man. Um, we had a really significant relationship, and it meant a ton to me. And then he left and got a job in a marketplace, and then moved. And um, you know, we are not in connection like we were in the past. But that time we spent together made it made my work more meaningful and significant so sometimes we look at and going oh because it's not like the they're not going to be my best of best friends or they're not going to be my friends that i'm going to have for until i die we're afraid to invest and i think that's the wrong way to look at it because you're investing for this mutual benefit right here and right now for your own health and all of the statistics both this article and other research that i've looked into all say the same thing it's not about what you're doing It's about who you're doing it with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are tons of great resources about this concept that are not Christian resources that all point to the same idea of like relationship is the most important thing. I think of Bowling Alone, which is like a seminal text on uh, American community. There's uh, David Brooks has that book, The Social Animal, Mm -hmm. and he has that new book. I think it's called The Second Mountain. And they're both about character and they're about Mm. living life with other people and how that shapes your character. Interesting. And it's- Fascinating. I love that kind of research because it really is one of those things where you bring in the truth of the Bible to the truth that you experience every day. If you're not a Christian and you can say, Yeah, but it's connected to something bigger. And I think that's a great witness. Some, a through line that I don't think you and I even recognize when we were having a conversation before this is like these relationships don't work when you don't assume the proper status. If you as a Christian think that you have something that this other person needs and they don't have, and they'll never have without you, it turns into that gospel project. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that I have recognized so much in the church witnessing or evangelism is you're going out to the beach because they're all going to hell and you're the only, Only reason they're not Mm -hmm. and it automatically puts you in this elevated status and so Garrick I want to ask like what are the proper boundaries of one of these relationships not to say like what can you not say what shouldn't you say but like how should you assume what posture should you assume going to a Rubio's with somebody are you the arbiter of the eternal life that they have to somehow get from you or you know do you see what I'm saying like what posture should you assume what's the proper status that you should have as Mm. you sit with somebody who you want to do good to but they're maybe not a Christian, you know, what's the posture you take?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think again, one of, I've used the term incarnational listening. Maybe I would go back to Steve Carter back in the day when we started coastline, we encouraged everybody to read his book. And one of the things that really profound, as simple as it was that stayed with me was, you know what? People are really interested in people who are interested in them. Yes. And it. I, I think it needs to be an authentic, genuine interest. It's not an interest in someone to get something from them. It's not an interest just to like, oh, I want to open you up so I can hand deliver what I think I have for you. Because again, that, that it speaks into that posture of somehow I'm above. And anytime we're in that posture, it's not going to go well because you think about how did ministry really happened look at look at the life of let's look at the arc of the life of christ it all really happened when he came incarnate Hmm. which is him according to philippians 2 letting go of everything that made him greater than us to actually be us and walk with us and then i would argue that and then in ministering and witnessing to us He did a lot of work for us and lowered himself beneath us into servanthood, the classic passage of Jesus washing the disciples feet. Right. Um, And I think that's the right heart attitude and maybe physical posture to have in the relationship one of mutuality one of mutual respect and knowing that there's going to be mutual benefit in this conversation and in this relationship and basically we're building a friendship and if a friendship isn't mutual then it's not a friendship so again we i i do think we have to do work to say i might want to share with you at some point but i need to take the posture of how do i how am i a learner in this friendship This person has something to teach me and to give to me as well. And am I open to receiving that?
0: The mutual benefit language I think is helpful. And I think it really matters when you think of like, just because it's a mutual benefit doesn't mean like what someone else can offer you is as significant as eternal life. But that doesn't mean it's not significant. Yeah. That doesn't mean that, oh, well, you know, I'm only hanging out with this person and doing what they like because I'm going to slip the gospel in at some point. It's like that relationship can benefit you as well and i think when christians abandon that idea we really don't live out that galatians call of doing good cuz you're missing every opportunity yeah you're not even you're not even seeking out a opportunity you're like well i have something they don't Right. And I think that's a problem in church. And I, I mean, I don't mean to speak generally, but I, that's something that I've seen so often. Every sermon on evangelism that I've heard is this idea of like, we hold something that they so desperately need, which is true to a certain extent, but that's yeah. not how you can start relationships. Right. Like I, I think about landing the plane here in a really practical way. But before I do, like imagine going to your job tomorrow and you say, I'm going to get lunch with this person and you look at them and you just sell them just straight up a, as bluntly as you can. I am going to keep you from going to hell. Would you like to go to Rubio's? They'd be like, you're the craziest person I've ever met in my entire life. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And and if you lead with that posture then it's just, it's not going to end up being mutual. And so I, I really like kind of the things you're saying about that. And that's really, refer- I'm literally in my head thinking of friends I have of like, okay, what have I taken from them? Like what, what have I gained from mm-hmm. these relationships? And now what can I offer in return in this realm of like doing good, like it says mm-hmm. in Galatians? Mm-hmm. And so I guess, Eric, my last question is practically people have listened. There's a lot of things we've been throwing out. Someone's listening. They're like, okay, I'm ready to step out of my comfort zone. I'm ready to live my worst literal nightmare. Mm-hmm. What do I do?
1: Mm-hmm. what's next what's next i would encourage you coming out of something i said in my sermon and something that drew um uh mess yes <laughs> i was just trying to think like was it kelsey or who? which one was it um kelsey talked was, about her hands yeah <laughs> oh yeah but that's a great oh, that's so a good. great metaphor you're gonna hear it and love it that's fun
0: fact a, that has gotten a lot of play in the office this week too yeah. we've been talking about that a lot
1: yeah yeah. Shout out to them. They were yeah, amazing. They're, they're a fantastic couple. We're we're blessed to have them in our family. Um, yeah. It, it was, Drew had mentioned like the power of listening to the promptings of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to connect mm-hmm. that to my encouragement in my sermon to say, look, you don't have to do for everybody. Try to do for one. And Jesus, as I read through, as I shared in my sermon, as I read through the gospel of Matthew, I realized like Jesus just did a lot for the person who was right in front of him. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we don't know what to do. Like sometimes we're scared and we might be scared. And then also we're thinking about like, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what my next step is. If that's you, that's okay. I would say just pay attention, pay attention to the people that are right around you and the person right in front of you. And I trust that as you try to live into this, Lord, I'm here and I want to do good today in my work, in my school, in my home, in my neighborhood, I'm just available. I'm available mm. to do good. I don't know what to do. You show me in your time what that good might look like. And I guarantee you somebody will come across your path. Some opportunity will come right in front of you that you'll be like, oh, I can fulfill that need. I can do this. I can do this kind act for this person. I can meet this financial need. I can. It, I guarantee you the power of the spirit and how he works it won't even maybe even feel like the Spirit. It'll feel coincidental. Mm-hmm. But that's the tr- walking by faith and not by sight. So the encouragement is pay attention to the person right in front of you. Trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give you ideas and prompt you to things in his timing. So if you're walking away from this podcast and you're like, okay, I, I'm, I, I've said yes. I'll follow you in doing good and persisting in it, and not losing heart. But I have no idea what to do you're in a great space and then just be intentional about, okay, Lord, I'm here and keep your eyes and ears open. And I guarantee you he'll lead you something uh, that I think he's got planned.
0: And I would also add to that, be curious. Yeah. As you enter in relationships with people, maybe the reason that you think you're sitting across from that person isn't the actual reason. Maybe the Holy Spirit needed to push you in a way that felt comfortable to get you uncomfortable. Yeah. So as you go to Rubio's, and I keep using Rubio's, and I really want Rubio's for Dude, lunch. You apparently you do. And I might be transitioning my lunch plans to Rubio's <laughs> today, Rubio's. But I think, like, I, I can just imagine someone listening, and they have that person in their head. Like, well, they like baseball, and I like baseball. And that's going to be an in. And you get to watching the Dodgers game, and, you know, something comes up, and you're like, well, I didn't expect that. Well, I, You know, I, I something that's so common for me is when I talk to people – the, the, the line that comes up a lot for people my age is, well, I used to go to church when I was in high school, but I walked away. And to me, that's always just like, a, yeah, I went to church in high school a lot as well. What, what did you like about it? And then it's, oh, I love the music and I love the games. And I went to camp. Oh, what camp did you go to? I went to that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just that. But I didn't think that's what they were going to say. Mm-hmm. never and it's a coincidence right and I'm curious and I'm, I'm prying and I'm getting information that's going to help me engage relationship with them and also receive something from them this is great this is wonderful and I think that kind of buttoning this with the message is really really going to be helpful because people are going to see it's as easy or as difficult as inviting your entire apartment complex to a party
1: yeah but yeah,
0: They listen to the spirit
1: yeah, listen, and look what happened. Listen deeply. I think Kelsey does a great job explaining like when I was on the uh, call with them, kind of setting the whole thing up the week before. I mean, she was just really reiterating like how simple it was. Mm-hmm. Like they just created a platform for connection. And then I think it was Drew who even said like, And it wasn't about us connecting with everybody. Right. It was like a bunch of neighbors didn't connect with them and just connected with each other.
0: That was my favorite
1: part. You know what I mean? And it's like, if anything, their apartment complex is just a more connected place to live, which means like people are a little bit more joyful. And they're going to have healthier lives.
0: Like it all just connects in such a cool way. Yeah. Great. Well, they're going to, they're going to basically do our job for us now. So Garrett, thank you. Thank you so much. Really. I, something I really love about a sermon is when you can just keep talking about it. Yeah, And I think that the best sermons are conversations where you're just giving us an idea and something to chew on and it helps us have good dialogue. And so... I think oftentimes, you know, people ask me, you know, how do you do the podcast? And you know, we do a primer and we talk about it before we jump on very little prep went into this because I was like, you preached it, I listened, let's talk about it. And yep. I'm very, very thankful for the work you did and the work that you just gave us on this podcast. And I will link in the bio to that article for, from the Harvard business as well. If people yeah. want to read and check that out, yep. but enjoy this conversation that Garrick had with the messics this past Sunday. And you know what? We'll see you at Rubio's later today. Sounds and, good. And every Rubio's after that. <laughs>
1: No Wahoos. Wow. So, Drew and Kelsey, you did something several months back. I would just love for you to share what you did and where the impetus came from for this whole thing.
2: Okay. We had a party. Sweet! Um, We, last fall, I had this idea to have a Christmas party for our apartment building. We'd been there about a year and a half. Um, we've been in Redondo Beach for nine years. Um, we started coming to Coastline, and you guys were in the hospitality CRB series that yeah. November. So that kind of gave me like the the edge to take it from an idea to mm-hmm. an action. Yeah. Um, so it was really simple. We printed invitations. I talked to my neighbor that lived next door, got her on board to help me with it, and Drew too. Um, printed invitations, taped them on everyone's door, and then the day of the party, we did it like on Monday evening because we're like people don't make plans on Monday evening, so they <laughs> they can come after work. Um, we hung lights in the courtyard, set out tables with a couple of tablecloths on and some flowers, and just yeah. told everyone potluck, like come after work, hang out, eat, get a drink, just get to know your neighbors. Yeah. Um, we were like, if like. Five apartments show up. That'll be cool. There's twenty five in our building, twenty five apartments. Everyone came. Everyone came, um, except unless they were already traveling to family, which was mm. like two or three apartments. yeah, um, even people like I hadn't met yet or no one in the building had met them. Um, they still came. And it was so cool to we, it came out of that desire that we just wanted to get to know our neighbors and also give people the opportunity to get to know each other. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Cause I, I saw people, um, at the party, you know, they were coming up and saying, thank you to us. And I was like, well, we really didn't do a whole lot. We just invited everyone and, and put some lights up um, and <laughs> just created space. Yeah, yeah. Created space. And, um, you know, I would see, you know, the neighbor from, you know, over the corner talking to the other neighbor upstairs and say, oh, hey, what's up? And, you know, getting to actually meet each other and, and start forming relationships with each other that I don't have to be in the middle of. Um, they get to have their own friendship. And, yeah. of course, I, I can I can get to know these same people as well. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool. You know, one guy was like, ah, when I was saying that we didn't do a lot, he said, well, all you have to do is plan it and we'll come. Yeah. And, and so that just shows me that. You know the people around me in my life and myself included want to be in relationship with others you know we want to we want to know people even if I, I I'm kind of look nervous or, or whatever you know if somebody invites me I'm probably gonna come or want to go yeah if I if I can so mm-hmm. Yep.
1: what would you say was some of the the fruit that you guys have seen as a result of this as well as then maybe the fruit kind of in your own life
2: yeah so um Well, like immediately just knowing everyone in your building's name is like awesome. Um,
3: We are the noisiest neighbors probably with the, you know, two little ones who run (laughs) around at 7.30 on a Saturday morning uh, in the courtyard.
2: And are notorious for running into people's apartments, our children, so. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) Just opening doors and. Yep, yep, Yep. it's happened. All right. Um, So, when you know people, you have a little more grace for them and they have more grace for you. And so, um, like, Drew overheard someone saying, like, that fun family in 304. So instead of being, like, the one with the noisy kids, like, they know our kids yeah. and they know us. Um, and, you know, when I when someone leaves their stuff in the dryer, when I used to, would get annoyed about that because now I'm like, it's taking me forever to do laundry. It's just a different feeling towards these people that you actually have names and stories to go with. Um, It's also not unusual at nine o'clock on a Thursday night for like five of us to be like out in the courtyard chatting because we just like all got home at the same time. It's kind of like a dorm on some days, which is really cool. Um, I don't know. Would
1: Would you say that what I'm hearing is that you're investment in providing this opportunity yeah. allowed for relational connection oh, yeah. across the whole apartment building, yes. right? Yeah,
2: and when you see, like just when you see people, it's not awkward in the elevator anymore. You know their name yeah. um, and you see a genuine smile that they're happy to see you that day. Yeah. Um, so just really, really cool. And one um, illustration God has been, can I share this? Yeah. Has been like working on me a lot lately is um, we have two hands, right? Um, So with one hand, I hold on to the community that I have um, and the friends that I already have and then that I've been given. And with my other hand, I open it to somebody new. Um, So hold on to the community that you have and you've been given, but also leave space in your life for the people that are around you, but maybe not a part of your life yet. Yeah. Um, and that's just something God's been growing us and blessing us in.
1: Yeah. You, you made a statement when we were talking about doing this testimony that has stayed with me, so I want to thank you for it. You had mentioned that you know a lot of these people were uh, around my life, mm-hmm. but they weren't in it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I think you extended yourselves as, in this experience. You extended yourselves in such a way that these people have moved from being around you yeah. to now being a part of your life. Yeah. And I think that's incredible. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that our community yeah. truly needs. Like yeah. if you look at the statistics, people are more lonely today than they were five and 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Any encouragement you would give to the rest of Coastline as we close out the service, just as far mm. as stepping into this?
2: Well, my encouragement would be, we'll keep that hand open for others. Mm-hmm. Um, and just don't be afraid to make the first move. <laughs> um, do you have to so, do it that way? Yeah. <laughs> so Shoulder I, shake? Yeah. Um, See, that's
1: what I would do, and that's why I make everything awkward.
2: <laughs> it's
1: not awkward when she does it. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Um. Yeah. So I just that now like move. I'm at the park all the time with the kids. If I connect with a mom at the park, like ask for like I ask for her number um so that we can meet up for a play date later. Cause I might not see her again for six months. Yeah. Um, just yep. if I just wait to run in to each other. So whether it's like at the park or in yoga class or school or whatever where you're at, like don't be afraid to yep. make the first move. And people are often more receptive than than you would think. And yeah. And pay attention
3: to those, those promptings that that God puts on your heart. You know, he's not, he's not going to yell at you. God, that's not the way God talks, at least to me. Um, You know, there might be a little, a little nudging. And then if I don't do anything about it, it might go away. And maybe it'll come back in six months or a year. And yeah, but um, just pay attention to those.
2: Yeah. That idea of like, this would be really fun. That could have just been something we let that would have been a fun idea and never done. Yep. Um, yep. So
1: awesome! Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for just putting them there. Thank you.